0: Hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism, a podcast asking the question, what does it mean to be fully alive in the 21st century? I'm your host, Brett Kane. I'm a licensed massage therapist as well as mindfulness meditation instructor, and joining us this week is my new friend, Matt Feary. You may have heard of Matt if you've seen 2018's film Feels Good Man or have been on the internet for the past decade or so. See, Matt is an artist and author and creator of one of the biggest memes to ever be a meme, Pepe the Frog, uh, who started off as a fun-loving, party-going frog that was from Matt's Comic Boys Club and who was uh, inevitably... uh, taken over by alt-right groups Uh, back in 2016 during the Trump election. uh, Pepe was actually uh, brought into uh, white supremacist groups as a symbol for bigotry and hatred, much to Matt's chagrin. Um, And the Feels Good Man film actually details the accounts that Matt had to go through to reclaim his intellectual property. Um, So it is a really phenomenal documentary, and the story is so... Incredibly wild and kind of a, a sign of things to come as we enter this new digital age where symbols are really king. Um, Matt is just, he's a really sweet guy, and it's honestly one of the biggest nightmares for any artist to have something that they've put their heart and soul into ha- be taken over by groups that want to use it as a means for hatred. So, with this episode, I didn't really want to, like, recover all the same ground that the documentary covers. There is a very meaty and juicy story here that I I really want to encourage you. If anything, this is just a, a massive commercial, if you will, to go watch that documentary. It is really stinking good and can cover the story way better than I can. We do touch up on it and we talk about some of the things he had to kind of emotionally go through as he's, starting to fight legal battles to make sure that his creation doesn't get used for hatred. Um, but I really wanted to take this opportunity to go beyond Pepe the Frog because it, it is kind of everywhere you can you can look it up and um, I really encourage you to do so. I, I really it's a really beautiful exploration into the use of symbols and how they're able to change and how people have different interpretations of them. Really, I don't want to downplay it it's really cool. It's a really cool documentary. But with this episode, we talk about the rest of his art. You know, he has a very large career of really amazing work that spans beyond his webcomics to like genuinely really prophetic images that I I think a lot of people find a lot of interest in. He's kind of got a little bit of a cartoony style, a lot of characters, kind of things that you would see if you grew up in the 90s and were buying a lot of toys or seeing cartoons. So I really just wanted to pick his brain on just how he got to be where he's at, what inspired him to create such zany and wonderful and sometimes terrifying things. Um, He's a really interesting human, and I think uh, he's in a really beautiful standpoint to comment on a lot of just how to respond to darkness in the world, you know? So that's what we're going to be doing this episode. Uh, I think the most important part about this is that we end up talking about dragons, and I think that that's something, uh, if you don't take away anything else from this show hopefully you take away from this episode dragons are freaking awesome they're really cool so that's what we're gonna be doing today guys i was really happy to have some of matt's time i as soon as i saw the documentary i like some i'm like i feel like i know him i don't know that's counter transference in psychology terms but i was like yeah i feel like me and him would be homie homies so <laughs> That was a big part of my impetus. I just wanted to kick it with a cool dude. And, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed uh, having a chat with him, hearing some other behind-the-scenes things on the documentary, what happened after the documentary, How, where Pepe's journey has taken him to this day. so, yeah, if you want to stay in touch with Matt's uh, platform or to go check out his art while you're listening to this podcast, MattFury.com. He's got a really cool Patreon. If you really are digging his work for like a dollar a month, you can get a bunch of cool behind the scenes things and pretty much just keep up with everything he's doing. For a dollar a month, it's it's actually a pretty good deal. It's, I really like it. If you want to watch the Feels Good Man documentary, it's FeelsGoodManFilm.com. Uh, you can find it pretty much anywhere. I'll have a link to the trailer down below so you can kind of get a framework for uh, the world that Matt has been moving through because I think it is uh, uh, it's kind of a vital thing to just see you know just like man he the fact that he could show up as positively as he can it, it's a testament to something I'm not going to say what but it's something um, so yeah, if you, uh, are digging this show, if you want to give us a hand and support this endeavor, then head on over to Apple podcasts and give us a review, uh, whether it's good or bad. I want to hear from you. I really genuinely would love to hear how folks are responding to the content. Um, uh, we're definitely in the swing of things. I, uh, we're in a block of really cool guests, and it's only getting cooler. So thank you so much for your support um yeah head on over to facebook instagram follow like uh youtube if you subscribe to us on youtube it's actually the most effective way to stay plugged into new episodes as they're released to get the little red notification any interaction really helps us uh win the algorithm battle and that's apparently what this day and age's uh marketing situation is about We gotta get ahead of the robot algorithms so yeah without further ado please open your hearts do some stretches drink some tea And enjoy the soothing sound of Matt Fury. All right, Matt, hello and welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing well. Got my cup of tea. The birds are singing. It's all good. Nice. That's all you can ask for. What kind of tea are you drinking?
1: Well, right now it's actually a leftover um, uh, Arnold Palmer from lunch yesterday. I just pulled out
0: of the, uh, the refrigerator, so
1: nothing too exciting. Yeah,
0: well, it's, I mean, leftover, yeah, that's kind of exciting. You got get a relationship with it, you know, <laughs> that's it's good. That's true. I didn't want to leave it behind. So I wanted to start this off by uh, just addressing the elephant-shaped frog in the room. Uh, with a frog shaped elephant. Um, y- you recently have gone through an experience that I would consider probably most artists' nightmare scenario, in that one of your beloved creations was co opted by alt right groups and white supremacists to for them to rally behind a, as a symbol of hate. And I, I think this is, it really is like a nightmarish idea. Um, But you did a lot of really unique things that I think really stand out and are really what inspired me to want you to come onto the show. Um, So to just kind of like create the context for that, um, at what point did you kind of realize that your creation was building all of this snowball energy and becoming this like thing that you did not intend it to be? Like when was that light bulb moment like, oh shit, (laughs)
1: Well, yeah, I I think it was probably—I mean—during obviously during the 2016 presidential election, um, when it just seemed to kind of really go insane. uh, You know, particularly when um, the former president um, uh, tweeted a picture of like his himself as Pepe the Frog, um, and that's when things got really kind of (laughs) weird. I think.
0: So at that point, was that kind of when you were motivated to take action? Well, <clears throat> I don't know. I was
1: just kind of trying to see it play out. It it just seemed to be um, definitely out of my control at that point. And, um, you know, I was getting a lot of media attention at the time. And uh, my impulse was to um, to downplay it or to actually do what I was doing in my own life, which was, um, you know, because Pepe isn't really this black and white thing. It's, 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 uh, you know, it's a tapestry of different things with different meanings for all kinds of people. And, um, you know, I was kind of interested in it as an internet phenomenon. And particularly it was, it was really popular with young kids, um, you know, uh, I had all kinds of um, emails from young kids saying, like, they were using it for their soccer team, they're using it for their photo club, for their trumpet club, so it was just like, it was a big deal for things outside of the political spectrum, so um, I was just focused on on those kind of things, and, um, you know, I really did just see it as a phase, and and I think it, it did get kind of blown out of proportion by the powers that be, and then actually started to snowball even more after when um you know more powerful people started talking about it
0: so do you almost feel like with something like this that like do you feel like pepe is like of you or did it come through you you know is that question a little amorphous <laughs>
1: yeah i don't really know um you know i have got a lot of influences in my own art and i think um you know the idea of an original thing i i don't know I, I guess philosophically everything is just a continuation you know our bodies are a continuation of, of uh, you know our family members that came before us and you know our kids are a continuation of us and I think that our art practice is a continue it builds on um, you know all the people that came before us and and so everything I, I kind of see everything as a continuation and I see everything as constantly changing and, and you know that was kind of my um, thing with Pepe too to kind of downplay it and say you know this is just a phase or, you know, it'll, it'll turn into something else. And I think it did, it did, at least from my perspective, um, uh, it, it, it continues to mutate and change, you know?
0: That's what I think it was one of the most like interesting parts of the documentary, the feels good man documentary was showing, it, it really helped give proper context to the fact that like it started off as one thing and then it just, kind of transformed and kept transforming and I'm kind of curious where is it at now like I was really interested after I finished I was like this was in 2018 I think when the documentary released and there's been like three years we've had a global pandemic where where is Pepe in his life cycle now is he as utilized or
1: well what's interesting is he's living on still um, I think a lot of because of the movie people are kind of crediting me as the creator so so i've got some you know i've planted my flag in it and and you know i'm I'm trying to stake my territory um and um but i also think he's he's got this other life on uh, interestingly like video game streaming things like uh, twitch and uh, there's a on Discord, and there's these like kind of streaming things where, where people get together in group chats and stuff, and, and the Pepe emoji is continues to evolve on there, um, and it and, and doesn't have all of the um, political trappings. And in fact, I think a lot of the kids maybe that grew up on Pepe in like 2015 when they were maybe in sixth grade or something, you know, when you're that young, you don't really attention to the news and politics as much as maybe an adult would and they've come of age now and um you know pepe is just kind of this uh character that resonates with them uh you know because it reminds them of being a kid or you know there's some nostalgia already wrapped up into it because you know things happen pretty fast online and and uh uh, a lot of it's just timing you know (laughs) yeah
0: it's all timing everything in life is kind of timing right Right, right. Yeah, it's interesting for me to have watched this entire phenomena because when I was first introduced to Pepe, it was actually, I think I was a sophomore or junior in high school. And back then, it, yeah, it was probably 2008, 2009, like when it was a part of the original comic before like the entire meme explosion happened. Okay. Um, you know, I was kind of like a 4chaner at the time because it was the only place you could actually get memes. They weren't as widespread as they were. Yeah. And, you know, I thought it was just like another one of the the memes that people would cycle through. And after a couple of years of getting away from the cesspit that is 4chan, I, I started to see like, oh, this is being used by like all these different groups. And it's taken on all these new meanings. And for me, it was just so absurd, that this this picture that was maybe 50 drawn lines or less, you know, it was just like this, it, like a very simplistic, very like, almost open source thing could be just this monumental piece of our culture that's now baked into the the internet. You know, it's (laughs) got to be kind of surreal, right. To just be at the other end of this and just kind of look back and just kind of like really feel that like, Whoa. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, yeah, everything's
1: surreal though. You know Um, you know, I feel like um, what's, what's helped me is to just kind of, you know focus on other stuff like when the pepe thing was kind of peaking or whatever i had just had a kid so i was kind of busy like um you know witnessing the miracle of life you know and and i was totally wrapped up in 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 that um <clears throat> so <laughs> there, there's yeah. that too which is yeah. another timing thing
0: yeah it's kind of like a weird dichotomy you have like this kind of like dark demiurge and then you have like the beauty of life all at the same time happening in your experience is just like whoa that's that's kind of a big overload yeah we're all living with that though right yeah Yeah, it's kind of always like that it's just maybe one of the more obvious ones (laughs) Um, so i'm really interested in like the campaigns that you did i think that this is kind of like an aspect that i really wanted to focus on because it showed this kind of nature of human spirit that i think doesn't get represented a lot and that you you there was this kind of like overwhelming, like darkness happening with this, but you responded with light and you responded with like campaigns and ideas that actually brought kindness to the situation. And could you just like talk a little bit about like the, the love campaign that you did with that, like how that started and just kind of what inspired that? Well, yeah,
1: (laughs) I mean, it's kind of funny. Actually, my, um, uh, my lady Ayana, she's kind of cringes at the um, at the Pepe as love kind of thing because you know she sees Pepe as he was in my comics, which is just kind of this stoned frog that likes to play video games and just like you know fuck around with his friends and and uh, you know make weird jokes and barf and stuff. So you know, uh, but I don't know. I was reading a lot of um, uh, like like Alan Watts and. Ram Dass and Thich Nhat Hanh. and you know I was reading a lot of these kind of transcendental kind of books to kind of help put things into perspective and uh, kind of realized the only way to combat this kind of these kind of ideas was just doubling down on positivity and love and you know I, I think I, I, I definitely got some flack from the establishment maybe from reporters and things things like that saying that I was naive and didn't know what I was doing and all this stuff but um, you know, I'm proud that I that I continue to just focus on that kind of stuff because uh it really it really is the you know a, a path that I find helpful for me and, and other people to just, you know, focus on the good stuff. But, you know, it could also be toxically positive as well. And maybe really? that that's why Pepe became what he is, because of my personality. So, you know, I've thought about that too.
0: Yeah. I think it's really interesting about it is that like now that like the vitriol is kind of like died down and the fact that it's not really being used as strongly of a symbol of the negative aspects, the thing that's like really lasting is actually the positive, like you're able to see this documentary now and see all the actual positive impacts that have come out of this. And I think that there's definitely something to the nature of that, like one small good deed can actually arrive from just like this mass of darkness and like that's what lasts that's what we remember from this we're not going to remember that it was used for xyz we're going to remember the response more than anything
1: well yeah well that's cool <laughs> i appreciate that yeah
0: yeah, yeah. there's just there's a lot of goodness that was generated from it you know yeah. and i think that that's another thing is like all of the all the negative aspects of human nature that were being used to rally behind it like that energy was kind of always present You know, but it just, like, rallied, whereas, like, that good energy, that was created from it, you know? So, like, it kind of gave us an opportunity to induce more goodness into life rather than, you know, repurpose in the same way. And I just think that there's something alchemical about that that I think we can kind of use in our, like, daily lives, you know? Like, being able to see the darkness of life and to be able to respond to it with goodness, you know? Like, there's kind of, like, a lesson in this that I think a lot of people could actually incorporate into their own situations you know it's like the macro of that micro
1: yeah well I think yeah there's an aspect of like you know you can you can choose to to deal with these things in different ways you could you could kind of cling to the darkness and cling to the negativity and be victimized by it and and that can be your narrative or you could wait and see what happens and, you know, be patient with it and maybe just uh, identify more with the geological time rather than your lifetime or with the day-to-day stuff and just, you know, try to transcend it cosmically like that. Or, um, uh, you know, what I've done, which is, you know, I, you know, I've read a lot of these books and stuff and, you know, one of the things that resonated with me when I was reading, like, uh, I don't know, one of the Thich Nhat Hanh books was he's saying you basically have you know you you, you can li- you can treat it like like a gardener treats um you know rot uh, you know you you got to um use the the kind of rot of life to grow the flowers you know so so you can use it mm-hmm. to your advantage and i think that um you know having for me personally having this experience it's enabled me to kind of grow maybe as a you know, maybe mature and, and be able to see uh, a world bigger than myself and also use the, this kind of negativity as soil for for growing something, something better. Wow,
0: that's really beautiful. Yeah, I honestly, I could maybe like get a hint by looking at your art. I've done a little bit of research just into all your other work. And uh, it was your yoga pictures that you have on your website <laughs> that actually kind of tuned me in. I was like, do do you happen to have a practice of any kind, contemplative or physical?
1: Um I mean I just I do my own thing. I go in the backyard and and do some push-ups and sit-ups and then I do my sun salutations and stuff and uh you know I I do a little bit of meditation and stuff but you know with the pandemic and stuff it's hard to I I do yearn to um you know get together with a group of people that are uh gathered but with intention you know that's something that's lacking in my life and I also I'm an artist uh, an independent artist so I spend a lot a hell of a lot of time by myself so a lot of my meditative practice is simply through drawing and I I do like large detailed drawings and you know as you saw in the movie I do these spirals and stuff so I think that's my kind of way to take my mind off things and you know just coloring is is very meditative for me
0: yeah it was uh, I was looking at those ones and it was specifically the one where they're doing the pose and they have like all that like gunk monster that's coming out and like i feel like i've experienced that before that's why i was kind of like as soon as i saw that i'm like oh there's actually another layer to the way that you're processing and moving through your art world that kind of tipped me off you know you said alan watts and ram Dass, and that it the puzzle piece just got put in yeah (laughs) you know yeah yeah and it's it it's cool that you've kind of like developed your own thing, whether or not it's like plugged into a a broader practice. Like, I think that that's something that a lot of people don't give themselves permission to do. You know, for you, it's like sit-ups, push-ups, your sun salutations, but what it is, it's like your unique thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people would benefit from just like doing what their body is calling them to do and like not fret that it's like not the specific, like you're not doing all 87 poses in Ashtanga or yoga or whatever. You know, that's it it's pretty cool to hear other people that are kinda of doing I, I do the same thing, you know, it's just whatever my body is wanting to that day. Yeah, I think it's important to give ourselves that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty lucky. Like I've got an art studio in and a one car garage here and um you know, I can open open up the garage door and uh you know, I sit there and draw. And then if I'm feeling kind of restless or I need to shake it out, I just take a jump rope and I go out in my driveway and I jump rope and um and that kind of uh, kind of resets me, you know, gets gets my heart ticking, and uh, and then I can kind of stretch a little bit, and then get back to the drawing board. So, you know, yeah. it's it's nice.
0: Do you have any um, like? How do you like maintain your focus and your work ethic? I've heard uh, I, I watched your XOXO. I don't know if that's how they say it, um, but the speech that you gave and you said you had your Ohioan work ethic. Um, <laughs> what exactly does that look like for like other artists out there? How do they like? How do they maintain? How do you maintain? You know, you have a family now. How do you? How do you stay motivated? Uh,
1: I I. I guess I just, uh, I'm blessed with kind of an impulsive drive to draw. I don't know. Like, I just, um, I get kind of anxious or worried or fidgety or if I'm not, yeah, it's almost like an impulse to do it. Like, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, for better or worse, it's just what I what I really uh, kind of am driven to do. And, you know, I don't know. I just get inspired by it by dumb stuff like um I remember being a kid like the first time I ever saw Mortal Kombat I was just blown away <laughs> by how cool how cool it looked with all the you know the skulls and the, um, the demons and all the violence and that's just like it, it just exploded my head and 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 I try to get back to that place where I'm just uh you, you know I get inspired by by old video games or old comics or like old toys and things like that and, and I just try to go to this place where I was brimming with with kind of inspiration when I was a kid and just really you know maybe bored with you know being in Ohio or whatever and uh, escaping to to a magical place and, and um, a lot of the artwork that I do now is kind of to honor the uh, angsty teen or the or the childlike wonder in myself, you know, so, so I'm doing things that, that the past me would appreciate because I'm older now. I'm in my forties and, uh, you know, I've been drawing so much that I've got some tricks. Um, so that's, that's kind of, I'm, I'm like honoring my past self, but, but also I've described it as I have like kind of the, the holy trinity of my art practice is, uh, you know, I've got the the childlike wonder, the teen angst, and then the more adult kind of Seeking for, you know, spirituality or higher purpose or, or self-realization or whatever. So so that's like kind of the the triple threat in my in my practice.
0: Whoa, I love that. Yeah, that's great. Are you aware that mandalas have been used in a lot of different cultures to depict as an image of God? Because I, I see that you're doing the spirals and the mandalas now. And that's actually, in human history, been representative of God. I think in like the Hebrew tradition. Oh, that's cool. As well as like Sufis.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've read a little bit about it, maybe like Carl Jung, type stuff. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I I don't know that I know that directly, but
0: but I feel that, I, I can feel that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it was. I think it's in the Jewish tradition. They never actually draw like what God looks like. They mm-hmm. think it's like it, it's either that or it's in uh, the Muslim uh, religion. I I'm really bad at sparsing out where it is yeah but be, because it's like offensive to actually draw what he looks like they say like the incomprehensible way to put it on paper is by mandala you know because it like never ends you know oh that's cool so i thought that that's kind of interesting that you're like being naturally drawn towards that it, it, it's really cool also to see the amount of characters that you come up with like in your new book uh the micro viscosity the entire book is like it's characters it's it's amazing (laughs) how do you do you just do you get the image of them in your head and then draw them or do you just kind of like start with something and then just like let it unfold how does that process work out
1: there's a few different ways that i do it you know when i was growing up i um i was just really i just like a lot of kids uh was really into collecting things there was these things called muscles um, they're these little Japanese um, wrestler characters, and there was just so many different variations of them, and I thought that was so cool. And I, and I later learned that um, the guy that sculpted all these little toys—they're all these little wrestlers. They're you know they look some of them look like cubes, some of them look like toilet paper, some of them look like you know mastodons. They're just wildly imaginative, and you know they they all are people. You know they're figurative, like little wrestler guys. <clears throat> and then I, I learned that the artist actually reached out to the uh, to children and asked them to submit ideas for what these creatures could be. So it was kind of a collaboration between his imagination and the minds of Japanese children to come up with these just really uh, awesome imaginative characters. And then so many of them. And, uh, you know, I think something more contemporary would be something like Pokemon or something where you know there's just all kinds of different variations of these things so I don't know for me it's a I've I've always had like a kind of uh, liked collecting things so this is a way for me to collect things uh, without having to like you know store a bunch of stuff I can just kinda collect them in my mind and draw them and then continue to draw the characters creatures and stuff and kinda create a create a world
0: So as you're, as you're putting these to paper or whatever, your medium is probably paper, right? Mm -hmm. So like, as you're doing that, are you kind of like coming up with like characteristics that go beyond what you're drawing, like the world that they inhabit as well? Like do each of these kind of have like a mini personality that you end up imbuing them with?
1: Kind of, yeah. You know, a lot of the characters that I come up with, kind like if I'm thinking about something kind of abstract, like say, um, you know, factory farming or environmental destruction or, you know, uh, isolation or all these things. So I try to come up with characters to represent those things. So, for example, I, you know, I'll have a character that looks kind of like Leatherface, but he's got Ronald McDonald clown paint on his face. And he also has chainsaws for hands and he's trying to strike up a conversation with a woman. That's also a pig that has a little kid and, you know, I just do kind of weird, <laughs> weird stuff like yeah. that to kind of like, uh, to kind of deal with my anxieties about living in the modern world and, and the kind of, um, the things that I think are kind of problematic or whatever, it kind of helps resolve these issues within myself to do something creative from that. And, um, and also like, you know, i i i don't i don't shy away from doing kind of darker, weirder stuff whether it's violent or sexual um because i think that that's a, a fertile zone for creativity.
0: yeah Part of me was kinda of hoping you wouldn't bring up the Ronald McDonald because that is so creepy. I saw it and I, I think it's I think it's his body that really gets me. It's like the like average Joe's clothes with the head and yeah, every every time I see it, I've seen it a few times I'm just like, Oh, geez. <laughs> so I you you found a way to make me feel that anxiety. So that's that's the mark of a good artist, I think. <laughs> I <Thanks>. think. <laughs> yeah. So I, I gotta ask one of the characters that I saw and another one that like it makes you feel a certain way. it It's the chicken headed fella with uh, the, the the penis pump on him. what 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 was that about? <laughs> what exactly did that represent?
1: Well, um, a few things actually, it has to do with the movie. Um, do you remember Chris, my roommate in the movie? He was tall with long hair and um, I don't know he he was my buddy. Um, uh, yep, one of the guys yep. in the movie. And, uh, so he was living with me, uh, when I was doing that kind of series of art for an art show. Um, in, um, I think it was, uh, in North Carolina, no, in Virginia. Um, anyways, uh, I was drawing all these chicken ladies and they were like, they were chained up. They were, you know, producing little chicken nugget babies for their overlord. And it was, I was just, just creating this whole kind of, um, chicken lady kind of world. And then Chris came in, he's like, what about the guys? You know, it's not just the uh, the females that are getting taken advantage of in this world. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. We should. And then we kind of talked about it. and We came up with the idea. And, and also, um, Arthur, the guy that made the Feels Good Man movie, um, his Dad was like uh, worked in agriculture, and when when he was a kid, he told us a story about how he uh, you know had to artificially inseminate like the pigs and stuff, uh, working with his dad, and it was just uh, disgusting and terrifying that whole um, that whole process. So it was just kind of <laughs> it was kind of yeah. uh, about about just. That kind of weird stuff like um i I don't think there's anything weirder than how and you know i eat meat and i participate in the thing but um but i'm also disturbed by you know all all the processes behind it i think it's like a modern day nightmare
0: (laughs) yeah i mean i think that that's the the only proper response it's either that or just feigning ignorance yeah but it's really hard, I mean, if it's a big part of your diet, like you're entering that direct relationship with this this being that you know was raised for your consumption it It's a weird thing to grapple with. I get why people do the vegan vegetarian thing. yeah, I just I don't think it really suits my my body well, yeah. otherwise I'd probably take the plunge. yeah, but it, it's definitely something people should maybe just grapple with, you know, see how they feel about it, like actually take time to like research what is actually happening you know and i don't think like there, there's people who do but there's people who pridefully won't yeah <laughs> you know well i think the solution really would be to i i think
1: that meat is just too cheap it's way too cheap it's too um you know it's sub the subsidies and stuff and and, and you know it's we're all participating in it just by living in this culture because our tax dollars are going to mcdonald's and stuff there it's all subsidized and i think that if if it was much more expensive and much more regulated and people only had it on special occasions or maybe once what at the very least just once a week or something or on holidays or something um, and that there was some <clears throat> you know better laws in place to protect animal cruelty and stuff I, you know i i hope we we can get there someday i'm a big fan of star trek and and um you know in the next generation like they don't you know they talk about eating meat as part of like the dark ages and stuff so um, yeah i'm also a fan of the matrix the original just the first matrix and i feel like uh, the animals are kind of caught up in a matrix right now
0: yeah oh my god that's grim yeah it's it's interesting cuz i feel like a big part of this issue is like Meat eating is also a psychology at this point. It's like a badge of personality, you know, like mm-hmm. it's a big part of like, yeah, I'm the grill master. I got, you know, I got my, my apron and I got all my meats on my grill. Like, yeah. it's a part of it's baked into like what it means to be an American man, mm-hmm. you know, to like eat meat, you know, And it's like I don't really know how to like loosen up those adhesions except through art. You know, I think like art is probably one of the most pointed ways to do that, mm-hmm. you know. It's, I really think what makes kind of the stuff that you're doing, honestly, like really important, I don't want to like, give it all this weight to it. But like, especially when you're making art for children, you're creating these like neural pathways, like they take in this art, and it affects them, you know, like, the role of a children's book author is, it's kind of a sacred thing, right? Like, you're helping shape how they view the world, you know, and especially when you're using kind of cartoon and kind of like the style that you're doing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think good children's books are just, you know, they're just a little nugget of wisdom or a little nugget of psychology or or, or, or philosophy, I should say. So it's like um yeah, the good ones really are, are good all the way around, you know, they're good for the parent reading it, they're good for the kid, they're good for the planet. <laughs> they're just good. Yeah. I love kids books and uh, I should do another one soon. <laughs> yeah. It is kind of heavy though.
0: <laughs> yeah, was Night Riders the only one that you've done? Yeah, yeah. What uh, what was your intention with starting that one? I admit that I haven't read it, but I have seen pictures of it, and I've seen. I mean, the overall art style is it's phenomenal. Like, if I were to get uh, a book of that nature, that'd be the top of my list. But what was like your idea when you started that?
1: Well, I was living in in San Francisco at the time and working with this company McSweeney's, and uh, my friend Brian who who contacted me. Um, he actually started the children's wing of McSweeney's and uh, just asked me to do it. And he, he just had faith that I had a, a kid's book in me. So uh, I was like, okay, sure. And then I just kind of uh, just approached it like I would a, a drawing or, or or a comic or something and just sat there and, and sketched it all out first. And, then, you know, it has a very loose narrative. It's more kind of exploratory. It's, it almost has like, um, like video game. Um, logic to it, where, you know, it's just a rat and a frog that wake up, you know, they're nocturnal animals, they wake up, and then they decide to go on a bike ride, and they meet people along the way, or other creatures and stuff, and so it's really just, I was just trying to really go for the ch- kind of childlike wonder of just hanging out with a friend and going for a bike ride, and just seeing what happens, you know, not having a plan or anything, so I, I kind of approached the book that way.
0: What What year was that done in? Was that kind of after the Pepe situation
1: um no it was before uh, it was 2012 um i mean pepe might have been uh, kind of in the in the honeymoon stage of just you know goofy Fort 4- you know 4chan wasn't always like what it is known right. for now you know it was just kind of it was a kind of a gathering place for kind of nerds to talk you know to, that was their their sp- I, I didn't really go on there but i had friends that did and yeah. it it just got weird you know as years went yeah. by
0: yeah yeah so do you think after having gone through everything that you went through do you think that you would approach a children's book in a different way like do you have a sense of like newfound gravity with the work that you do now that you've seen the potential implications that people could spin it or do you try and just kind of separate that experience from the process
1: I don't actually I had a kind of a bad experience recently um so I won't mention names but Brian the original McSweeney's guy was trying to hook me up with a literary agent so that I could like maybe do, do a new kids book or, or kind of retool the Night Riders do like a 10-year anniversary or something and so this woman um she liked the book and stuff but then like uh I showed her the movie she was just too disturbed by it and then she just dropped me because she just didn't want to be associated with me and then she also was saying that um, the Knight Riders was like a Ku Klux Klan a nod to the Ku Klux Klan because um, you know I guess back in the you know the early days there was a group of guys called the Knight Riders that would go out and terrorize people and it was yeah it was a racist thing so I, I had no idea about that so she just I don't know was being really, make make me think like you know is everything I'm gonna do turn into some like fucking racist weird thing? So I don't know. I'm yeah. a little. I'm just like, I, I just want to do my own thing. I'm just gonna just draw pictures and everybody can leave yeah. me alone.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean honestly, that kind of sounds. That's just so bizarre. She sounds kind of like a bad literary agent. Yeah. <laughs> By movie, do you mean like the feels good man movie? Yeah. Yeah, she's like, so weird because it... I was like, you should check this out.
1: And then she watched, like, she didn't even finish it. And then she called me on the phone, just scared for her life, saying that she didn't want to work with me because she thought, you know, she would be, you know, killed or something.
0: That's insane. Wow. I mean, if anything, I feel like it kind of vindicates you. I thought that that was pretty glowing of your character and, like, your intention in the world. It showed everything that you did to, like, be active in making sure that this character didn't really get fully co-opted that's that's bizarre i feel like that's more of a reflection of her professional prowess more than it is you know what you're offering
1: well i think a lot of my my uh you know the harder people to to deal with during this whole situation isn't necessarily the 4chan like the troll type people it's the um it's the older kind of hillary clinton crowd that um just sees it for what the media says it is, you know, and they don't want to, they don't want to see the whole story, but it doesn't, yeah. it, they don't want to see the gray area, you know. Yeah.
0: Well, I feel like it is kind of putting you down a very specific path of, like, um, like, entrepreneurship, you know, in a sense of, I know you have your, your Patreon going on, and, like, do you think, like, how are you finding a way to navigate without dealing with like, the bureaucracy of things? How do you, like, maintain the business side Post all of this.
1: Well, um, I, I'm in a unique situation, but because this thing got so uh, radicalized, um, I, as you saw in the movie, I was able to get hooked up with that law firm, Wilmer Hale, Stephanie and, and Lewis. There have been really helping me, and um, and that was all, Iana. You know, my my wife, Iana. She just saw, so, you know, there was a point where I was just, it was when the children's, there was like an alt-right children's book coming out, and I was just so upset about it. I didn't know what to do. So she went on Facebook, and she's like, hey, does anybody know any lawyers? Like, because I, I had been working with another lawyer before, and it just wasn't really working. It was just a single lawyer. And uh, Ayana realized that I needed to get some big dogs in the game because uh, I needed help. And so we got this huge law firm to, to really um, you know, work pro bono for me. And that's, that's really been empowering for me. And, you know, I'm not the type of person that wants to go around suing everybody, but I've had to, (laughs) I've had to do it, you know? So, so they're still working with me and I'm still kind of, um, you know, navigating that.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, it's for a good cause, you know, not only protecting your own IP, but also, you know, it's, like a really good uh, cudgel to kind of like stop any super extremist groups from like organizing too strongly behind it. You know, I'm sure that there's been a lot of good that kind of comes out of that.
1: Yeah. You know. Yeah. That said, I was watching, um, I mean, it's kind of funny. Uh, I was watching the Sunday edition of um, PBS news hour and um, we're just on the couch watching it. And uh, of course there was this, uh, a segment on um, on ha- hate and extremist groups within the military. So they were specifically um, uh, interviewing two guys that are uh, in the Marines. Just these two beefy guys, and they had two pictures that they wanted to show these guys. And this is on you know last Sunday's PBS News Hour. They showed a picture of Pepe the Frog and asked him what that meant, and then they showed a picture of eight eight, which means H H, hail Hitler. So it was like Pepe and hail Hitler, and they both had and you know these big you know twenty something year old marine guys had an answer and, and i thought their answer for the, for the pepe thing was pretty interesting because they didn't say it was an alt-right symbol they didn't say it was a hate symbol or anything like that they said it was something online that was used to trigger liberals <laughs> <They> had, uh. <laughs> they had something like that and i was like you know what that's that's about right yeah <laughs> yeah yeah wow, but it was that's... still like uh iana was laughing because i'm just laying there like eating ice cream on the couch just trying to relax and watch the news and and then pepe pops up and i'm just like god damn it (laughs) yeah yeah
0: it's like one of those moments like you see yourself on the news or something you know you're like what the hell yeah well and and, you know you're sitting there eating ice cream and you're like the actual correct answer is it's a frog (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) like it's a (laughs) frog guys you know so that's that's bizarre So what does the the future look like for you with your uh, current platform? You know, I I mean, like I said, I I saw like the Patreon. How do you how are you like making it through this pandemic doing what it is that you do, you know, with your unique situation?
1: Well, um, I'm just like, you know, I'm just focused on other stuff, to be honest. Um, I'm working on a large scale drawing of mythological creatures right now. Um, And ideally, I want to make it into a puzzle. But um, but I'm just researching, you know, different mythologies and stuff. I'm working on kind of like a yeti creature on there. I just finished like a, uh, an elephant seal that's holding a Chinese dragon that's next to a weird like ape creature and, and a seven-headed dragon. So I'm just going full on uh, just diving into my own world. It's kind of been fun because, you know, I don't have any kind of social obligations outside of like Zoom meetings and stuff. So yeah. um, So I can yeah. really just devote time to my art.
0: that sounds kind of like the ideal situation to be in you know I mean if anything you have probably like less responsibility to show up for because the world has been shut down for a year you know
1: yeah but I've you know I've cultivated a life for myself where um where I'm making drawing a priority and you know I've been going in that direction my whole life pretty much so right. I'm, I'm just kind of you know, basking in the presence of my daily routine. So it's my it's fine.
0: I love that. Wow, that's so good. I don't have as uh, pointed of a direction, but I'm also doing the same thing. It looks a little bit different. But it is really nice. Once you once you get that routine down, it kind of everything in life starts to form around it. You know, it's just like the the arrow forward. It's It's just like a really pure thing. It's so important to get.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You can really do what you want and tell everybody else to leave you alone. You, I mean, you really can't, a lot of people, you know, at least for myself, I I could see a lot of times I get in my own way or something, or I feel like I need to answer an email or I need to do, you know, you just don't, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. You can make yeah. your life, whatever, however you want to make it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. So something that I've seen come up with you quite a bit is your love of dragons. (laughs) So I am kind of curious, what is your favorite dragon or like your favorite depiction of a dragon, if you will?
1: (sighs) You know, I don't know. You know, when I was younger, it was definitely the medieval dragon. You know, um, I was shopping the other just yesterday and I, I just saw this awesome illustration of, of a dragon uh, on a celestial seasonings. Um, uh tea box and it was just so perfect and uh and you know there's a princess on the back of it and just like it was so detailed and it was so well kind of rendered and i don't know there's something about dragons uh that just they're just fun to draw and they're also they don't really they only exist in our imagination and it's i don't know i read a book once called the universe is a green dragon and I thought it was really interesting to call it that, and, and it was calling it that because the universe is something that we could never really truly grasp or understand or know what it truly looks like. And and uh, I don't know. And you know, as I've gotten older, I've, I've uh, you know, I like both. The, it seems to be a duality with dragons. There's the Eastern dragon, you know, the boar, you know, the the wind spirit or the river spirit, or just you know, the the kind of tangly, you know, the Chinese dragon. And then there's there's the Western dragon, which is the more, you know, hoard, the greedy dragon that hoards the gold, or, you know, you have mm-hmm. to fight to save the princess and stuff. And, you know, I like both of those kind of tropes. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know, dragons is a rule.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I really like the difference between the way that like the East and the West have interpreted dragons. And it's really interesting that the same creature has shown up in completely different cultures, Mm -hmm. which I I wonder if there was like cross-pollination that created that, or if it's just something that's like deep in the human psyche, like flying lizard, like there's... But they, they show up in completely different ways. And it's interesting when you look at it from like a symbolic perspective, because a lot of people like to investigate like like the dragon is a symbol, like you just associated, you know, like the greedy hoarding all the gold power You know, it's like this unfathomable amount of power Mm -hmm. or in like the Eastern situation, it's like wisdom and magic Mm -hmm. and um, spontaneity, you know, Mm -hmm. and the fact that like these two cultures interpreted the same thing, the fact that they even had the same idea, Mm -hmm. let alone having this completely different type of being is just really fascinating to me. Yeah,
1: it's cool. It makes you think that, you know, maybe we are living in the imagination of a dragon or something. I don't know whoa
0: this whole thing is just from like a super egoic dragon that's just like yeah dream about me that would be wow that might be the most thorough and comprehensive worldview i have came across (laughs) thus in my life changes some things for sure makes
1: just as much sense as anything else right
0: it honestly kind of does i don't know i was kind of leaning towards the flying spaghetti monster I, (laughs) I, i think that's got some it's got some some truth to it. There's got to be something about it. Yeah, yeah. It resonates. Yeah. Have you seen? Yeah, it, it probably shouldn't, but there's aspects that do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So have you have you thought of like the have you seen Reign of Fire with Christian Bale?
1: I don't. Is that a dragon movie?
0: Yeah, yeah. It it it's not like familiar. It's I don't not think the I have seen best. It. It's not the best dragon movie, but it offers a unique it's like an apocalyptic movie where like dragons have like woken up and they've pretty much destroyed everything. They've burned all the food and it's just like humanity's last ditch effort holding against the dragons. And I mean, you might like it. I mean, it, if you take apart some of the, the clunky filmmaking, there's some parts of it that are like, like they're cool dragons. Like they're really well interpreted and put into effect. And yeah, that's my suggestion for you. Yeah, yep, yep. Well,
1: the one that yeah, I like it's is more... Oh, go, go ahead.
0: I was just going to say it's rain as in, like, the rain of a king, not, like, water rain. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, rain of fire. Yep.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. Yep. Well, the one that, that I liked what, growing up was actually a made-for-TV animated movie called Flight of Dragons that came out on DVD okay. not too long ago, but, man, it's a, it's a good one. It's beautifully animated, and, uh, you know, it's about, like, um, you know, the world of... of imagination is kind of crumbling because of technology and they have to the the wizards of the dragon world have to join forces to bring somebody from the real world into their world to help save them and and the guy that they bring in is actually voiced by john ritter and he works at like a like a game shop and uh, he's actually working on a game that is exactly like the imaginative world where the same wizards in that world are actually pieces in his game and they bring him in to help figure out how to def- defeat this dark force you know there's one wizard that's trying to take over and blah, blah. but uh i don't know it's a lot of the classic kind of dragon story stuff but, but yeah it's a good one
0: <laughs> would you say that that was maybe like one of the first dragon medias that kind of like got you like oh these things are amazing
1: probably yeah yeah and uh you know i've watched it I own it on DVD now and I've watched it more recently. And I realized that a lot of my style kind of comes from that show. Like, I don't know, kind of the big eyeballs. It's kind of cartoony, but also a little bit realistic. I I don't know. It's like kind of threads the needle there for
0: me. Yeah. I'm going to have to maybe give that a, give that a watch if you're uh, you're advocating for it. Yeah. It's called flight of dragons. Oh, if it's on YouTube, then yeah, it's already getting watched. (laughs) Maybe it is. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I find it really interesting to like talk about people's like inspirations because so much of that inspiration is still active within you as you're creating, like your taste gets developed by like what first strikes you when you're young. Yeah. So like outside of flight of the dragons, what are some other, I I don't know, like the era of cartoons that you grew up in, you know, like what, what were some other inspirations that, that have gotten you to where you are now?
1: Well, um, Let's see. Definitely, like, on the humor side, like, Beavis and Butthead, I was obsessed with. Ren and Stimpy, I was obsessed with when I was a kid, Um, a lot of those 90s things. But, you know, when when I was an even younger kid, you know, I was into He-Man. I really thought He-Man was cool just because of the, um, not necessarily that the cartoon was great, but that the toys were awesome, like, all the (laughs) different... You know, you, they had the skunk guy and it smelled like a skunk. And then they you had this Whoa. one the one guy where you could press a liver on his back and his eyeballs popped out. And they had like a two headed guy oh. and, you know, guys with like giant claws for hands. And it was just like so cool. Like the, they just really honed in on what a, a boy would want to play with these powerful, yes. muscular creatures. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> uh, he Man's definitely awesome. And um, yeah. you know, I love the the Muppets and just the aesthetic of, of Sesame Street and Muppets and stuff like that has been a big influence on just my artwork and definitely Gumby. I love like Gumby. I just love how how simple the forms are in Gumby. Like they're just so they're almost like they're stripped down to their essence and and I think mm-hmm. y- you can get a lot of inspiration from something that's not too detailed. It's just you know it's just stripped down to its essence it's just eyes and a smile and and like a blob of clay that just barely makes little limbs and i don't know gumby's huge star wars is a big influence obviously like all the just kind of all the creators and different kind of cool intergalactic creatures Um, in Star Wars from the Rancor monster to the Gamorrean guards to the stormtroopers to even Darth Vader looking like a badass kind of samurai guy yeah Um, I don't know I'm inspired by a lot of stuff
0: yeah did you ever get into Jim Henson's other work like the labyrinth and dark crystal
1: oh yeah yeah definitely labyrinth is huge huge definitely more more I like the dark crystal but the labyrinth even more so like yeah that was awesome yeah
0: yeah, it, it left an effect on me when I was younger. I remember like that movie in particular. I saw it like once in passing on TV, but like the influence that it like left in me lasted for like years. Like I think it speaks to the power of like his imagination, you know, like the worlds that he created were just mind boggling to this day still. You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that one in particular it seemed to have this message that was speaking directly to me or something as a kid, but also as a Teenager, I remember watching it again. You know, after kind of indulging in some, uh, you know, some enhancements, and I was yeah. and I was just like, whoa! I was like, yeah. oh my god, this is like, it was just profound. The message that that the labyrinth had, and um, one thing you could say is that people don't like to be stuck in a labyrinth.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that you bring that up because I had the same experience. I think my senior year, under the influence of, uh, as you said, enhancements, and yeah, that movie was it. It, wow, I was just kind of like dumbstruck the entire time, and I couldn't get over that the the lead in that movie looked a lot like my ex girlfriend. Wow, and like I was in such an influential state where I was just like. Oh, this is actually happening! Like, is she okay? Yeah. Is she gonna make it out? Why is David Bowie talking to my ex? And like, I was frazzled. But yeah, <laughs> it was it was an experience. Me and my friends still every now and again we're like that happened, didn't it? Like, that wasn't, yeah, okay, we can confirm that happened.
1: I know. David Bowie's got, like, that cod piece on. He's, like, twirling those balls. It's totally weird. (laughs) And then there's those weird creatures that are, like, totally orange that are just popping their heads They're, like, the party guys that are just, like, partying too hard
0: or something. They're popping their heads off and throwing them around. You're just like,
1: ah! It's,
0: like, a bad trip. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It was The entire movie, it feels like that. Even if you're dead sober, it's just like, I, I, I feel like I gotta, like, get a breath of fresh air. I gotta, like, pause this yeah I recently showed some friends the dark crystal like a, like it was like two years ago and we just maybe like smoked a little bit of pie and like that was still enough to where people were like i am actually really uncomfortable right now yeah that one is like a little bit darker though yeah. that one is distinctly yeah i just i, I love fantastical worlds there's something yeah. about people creating extended universes for things i i've recently this past fall dived into um lord of the rings you know we watch all the extended cuts and it was a whole ordeal but even after i would go and read like all the extended lore like he built this entire cosmology that Mm -hmm. you could plug into and that level of art like tolkien might have been like the michelangelo of literature yeah like he he's like one of the greatest authors that we've ever had have you ever thought about an extended Matt Fury universe?
1: <laughs> I don't know. Well, you know, I think what's interesting about Tolkien and, and even Jim Henson and coming up with his movies and stuff is, is it is it, it is very much a continuing story. It's a shared it's a shared fantasy or something. Like we are like like the Tolkien's world these worlds seem familiar to us, you know. Yeah. It's weird. And you know, it has you know, it has its roots in maybe. You know paganism or you know all these old belief systems and magic and stuff that maybe we used to have and and, and then it resonates with us because because it's it's you know it's in our blood or something it's yeah, it's cool yeah. um but uh yeah i mean i um i think it would be cool cool to like you know I, i'm talking with a, with a, my cousin right now about maybe um what, one of my dreams is, is, you know, there's this stuff happening in, in what's called the metaverse right now, where it's kind of like, um, these kind of like second life worlds online, you know, where, um, where people can, you know, go into an avatar and going to go into 3d space online or whatever, and interact with one another. And, uh, I always thought it'd be, be cool to come up with like different avatars, like of my characters and then be able to meet people in like a rave, um, like a virtual rave like whether it's in a, inside of virtual reality or or not but to just get together with people from all over the world and just have a big kind of like cosmic dance party where you, not only you can dance and stuff but you can also fly up in the air and you can you can do all kinds you can do whatever you want because it's a more of, of an imaginative kind of dream world that so i think i think that's one cool thing about technology is is um you know there's a lot of bad stuff that's happening with it but there's a lot of possibility um too um in terms of just mapping our dream worlds into a a, a, in a collective way where we can all meet on this virtual astral plane and fly together you know
0: yeah yeah it's it's interesting because so often media depicts kind of like the um dystopia mm-hmm. you know like we're all very hyper fixated on what could go wrong like we have black mirror which is one of the most the biggest shows but we gotta have like what about like a white mirror mm-hmm. <laughs> or just like clear mirror like uh we need more examples to grow into mm-hmm. where we stop projecting all this negative shit on yeah. the future and technology mm-hmm. like we're limiting ourselves or you know essentially chopping our feet off mm-hmm. you know and agreeing to some worldview that like really isn't the it's not the only way it's not the most accurate way to look at the situation yeah yeah no that's a black mirror is a good example one of the
1: one of the only black mirror episodes that i thought had a tinge of positivity and it was the one where it was like two um people were meeting at a dance party in a virtual world you know and then you uh you know it was like an 80s Beach? Did you see this one? It was like an '80s beach town. Is it San, town. San Junipero? Maybe. I think it's based in the '80s, and there's like all these people like meeting at a nightclub and stuff, and everybody's hooking up, and it's a lot of fun. But then you go to, you see beyond that, and it's actually um, two old women like on life support mm-hmm. in a virtual world, and they're yeah. they're meeting in this, and they they have a choice: they could stay there forever at the '80s dance party,
0: or just let it go just not stay there. i don't
1: know it's trippy
0: yeah but but it seemed kind of positive yeah it was probably my favorite episode of that show because it's definitely the one that leaves you with the best feeling yeah you know um there's that and like the i think it's called like the uss McAllister. it's like the star trek themed episode oh right yeah that one was uh that was a trip yeah that's really wild that was cool yeah i love that show that show was awesome Yeah. Really imaginative. I I really like that. But yeah, I definitely think, and I have said it a few times on the show, like I think like The Walking Dead has really screwed us up Mm -hmm. to where like it really set the standard for how people respond to the idea of like societal collapse. Mm -hmm. Like everybody's like, yeah, I know what I'm going to do. If there's going to be zombies, I'm going to get guns and I'm going to, you know, hoard all this stuff. And like we have these power fantasies. And I think Mm -hmm. that show instilled that Mm -hmm. after like, 38 seasons of it you know <laughs> It'd just be really interesting i think like this virtual world idea that you're kind of talking about could honestly help really kind of alleviate generate empathy if anything you know yeah I, i've thought about the idea of like what if you're able to plug into a virtual experience of somebody who is going through like something really traumatizing so that you can better understand what that is like yeah you know like there's so many pro-social technologies that we could be creating and working with that we just don't yeah yeah consider yeah we could
1: yeah rather than creating like machines of violence they could be empathy machines you know to help people better connect with one another which is what these social media guys claim to have been doing but actually they're just not they're actually kind of destroying the fabric of society with all this with all this manipulative shit but um yeah that's wild man i don't know um, that you know, I mentioned Star Trek earlier. That's that's one of the the few sci-fi mm-hmm. kind of shows that actually does, uh, you know, have a an optimistic point of view, or, or is going, you know, for the best uh, best parts of human nature rather than the the worst, lowest, most violent, sicky stuff, which is, it's what we all love to watch. But Star Trek yeah. somehow does that in a way that i find interesting and, and inspiring um, unlike a lot of the other shows that are just kind of you know apocalyptic i like watching that stuff too i like
0: it all <laughs> yeah yeah you gotta have balance just, yeah just like, you gotta be able to like walk both worlds yeah i think it is important to like desensitize yourself a little bit yeah. you can't do it so much that you're willing to accept atrocity but like to be able to kind of like be resilient i think resiliency is gained through specifically like horror movies i grew up a Mm -hmm. huge horror buff and a big part of that was like it it just helps you kind of be more baseline throughout the rest of your life you know because you're not you know i I think there is like a we we like to be scared you know there's the thrill to it that Mm -hmm. helps i think our nervous system kind Mm -hmm. of find equilibrium i don't know if that's scientific i'm just Mm -hmm. saying it because it sounds right but that's Mm -hmm. my experience yeah yeah, I
1: love horror movies too. Yeah, I, in fact, I've gone a little bit soft since having a daughter and you know getting older and mm-hmm. stuff. I can't handle the can't handle the gore as much as I used to. But I do like thrillers. I've always liked psychological thrillers and like maybe uh, you know cop dramas and stuff like that. But um, but yeah, the gore is a little harder for me to uh, <laughs> to digest these days.
0: Yeah, unless it serves – because I always find myself – I don't always, but I find myself in some conversations where I'm, like, trying to defend horror movies because there are certain ones that, like, display a really powerful aspect of, like, the human – drama that is like you can't do it outside of horror but i think like if the gore serves that aim of communicating something then i can tolerate it but if it's just senseless mindless not even fun but like mean and mm-hmm. i'm just like this is like why are we here like mm-hmm. what are, what are we gathering for like the entire saw movie series after saw one like that one was like a genuine thriller that like didn't indulge too much but then after it was just like yeah. You're here for the torture right yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. did you see um uh, uh what
1: was the one it was like the horror movie set in like uh i don't know denmark or something it was like during like when it was a midsummer summer. yeah i thought yeah. that was pretty good
0: yeah 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 I, that act, i think it's ari astor is as the director he he's he's definitely a master of the craft you know he's he's really good and i don't know what sets it apart i don't know have you have you seen his other work uh, hereditary
1: I, people tell me to watch it. I haven't seen that yet. I've, I've just I've just seen the other one, Midsummer or whatever. Yeah.
0: So it, it kind of feels similar in a way. It's more disturbing than Midsummer, mm-hmm. uh, Midsummer. But what it does is it captures the element of grief really well. It's like a capsule of what it means to go through loss mm-hmm. and like the strain that it puts on families. Like there's other supernatural stuff that's happening, but really it between the director and like the actors like they're communicating this very real human thing that like you feel it that's what makes it so powerful but also like i'll never watch it again because it's so powerful and it makes you like oh like punches you in the gut just like going through lostwood you know and it's it's a fascinating piece of work i really suggest it okay Uh, definitely yeah it you should be okay but just as a, <laughs> as a warning it, it is like it's it's pretty messed up yeah that's cool well i tried to watch
1: the it was called like the witch or something with like two v's mm-hmm. and i just she like put a baby and it was mashing up a baby at the beginning of it or something i was like i can't do this that's so i turned so i turned it off so that, so that was a little too much yeah. for me did you see that one yeah i
0: did yep yep yeah, that was also weird. I really liked the ending of it. I'm not gonna spoil it, okay. but it does have like a really nice, juicy payoff. I didn't. Make, now that I'm thinking,
1: make it past her like turning a baby into a mashed potato or something. I was like, oh god, yeah. that's disgusting.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that that one for like the timepiece that it is. I really liked the fact that he like really recreated like they, they they went to like painstaking detail to recreate what it was like for the settlers to like. Like what their lifestyle was mm-hmm. that to me is i think the most interesting part of it and then all the creepy shit that goes on mm-hmm. but cool well matt um I'm, I'm really enjoying this i uh do want to let you kind of have some day i know this is kind of morning where you're at <laughs> um so where where can people find you mattfury.com dang nice quick succinct i like it a lot <laughs> you got that patreon hey, the patreon's linked through there right
1: oh right yeah uh, if you go to mattfiery.com you hit fan club i got a patreon on there if you
0: want to support yeah. what, what do they get what's the what's the goodies everybody wants the goodies man. What... well
1: mine's just real basic what you get is uh, not too much commitment anybody can come <laughs> in at whatever price point you want you give me a dollar a month whatever. And uh, it's just more of a kind of a slight, you know, I'm just giving you a behind the scenes look at my kind of day to day art practice. So for example, I'm just working on a big drawing right now and I'll just, um, I'll take pictures of it throughout my process and just post that. And I don't know, it's pretty basic. It's more like a a blog. I'm just using it as Mm -hmm. a blog. So uh, I'm not going to send you anything or do anything like that. It's just if you want a little window into my, into my world, come on over. But no pressure. <laughs> yeah.
0: If I pay you more, will you send me stuff? <laughs> Is that a part of it? Well, oh, or... we could talk. We could talk. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Matt. I really appreciate this. It's been a lot of fun.
1: Okay, yeah. I enjoyed talking with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course.
0: All right, my friends. That was the episode thank you so 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 much for listening all the way till the end if you're a frequent listener of the show then you know i made this for you uh so yeah that was matt fury i hope you enjoyed his perspective on the world Uh, i definitely do i really suggest you checking out his website mattfury.com also suggest checking out his book mind viscosity i actually just ordered a copy and it is now in the mail and i'm really excited to see have that in my hands you know to have some of his art in my home i'm really pumped for it so if you want to check out the documentary feels good man if this talk sparked your interest i really stink suggest it like it really might be one of my favorite documentaries of the past five to ten years it's really well done it's just really engaging um a lot of cool colors a lot of matt's art is in there and you can kind of just get a glimpse into a really weird sordid world like the dark underbelly of the internet it's it's pretty wild uh it's uh, a little nerve-wracking <laughs> um so yeah that's gonna be at feelsgoodmanfilm.com and uh yeah if you uh, want to check back with us subscribe over to youtube apple podcast we're on spotify we're on we're on everywhere wherever you want to go we'll be there even if you don't want to see us Even if you're just in your home alone, we will be there, so don't worry. Anyway, I hope you have a great week. I will see you next week, uh, Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. All right, bye.